You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On NBA Thursday edition, joined by the athletic Sam Amick. Sam makes a weekly appearance here on Locked On NBA, so keep your tab out. Thanks for subscribing on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or whatever you do to catch your podcatcher. Make sure you also follow us on Instagram at Locked On NBA Net, which gives you the biggest stories in less than a minute, and plus bigger stories in the feed, and the Twitter feed of all the local experts on one spot. Sam Amick joins us, and Sam, we got our first trade, well not our first trade, Jimmy Butler was the first trade, but we got a trade. Last night, Utah Jazz acquired uh, Cleveland Cavaliers sharpshooting Kyle Korver, and the Jazz sent Alec Burks and two second round draft picks to Cleveland. What's your thought on that? You know, I liked the trade uh, initially, David, right out the gate for Utah. Um, but the only quibble I guess I would have is that, that as it was first reported, uh, Alec Burks was not part of it. That's the part where you then like once I, I was thinking, my goodness, two seconds for Kyle. And I don't know how they pull that off. And it gives the jazz, you know, more shooting and puts them in a better spot as they try to fix, you know, what seems to have been broken early on here. I liked it a lot. And, but losing Alec is like, that's, that's a guy that they've spent a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy, trying to develop and been part of the program. So you're a lot closer to that situation than I am. But, I mean, it's it's a guy that I know is certainly not a, anywhere near an all-star caliber player, but a, a role player that, that they, you know, they had a long history with. And so, you know, I wonder what the local reaction was like. I wonder, you know, from Dennis Lindsay on down, how much of a deliberation was that? Because what has to be challenging, if I'm putting myself in their shoes, is that you come into the season with so much anticipation and expectations and excitement when, when you're the Jazz. And people like me and so many others just flat out saying Utah is the second best team in the Western Conference. And then you just can't get the, the ball rolling in the way you thought you were going to be able to, and you have to pay a price. And that's what this trade is. I mean, this trade I really don't think happens if they get off to a good start. This is a, a reaction to what has happened early on here. I mean, it's interesting is, so Utah, according to Second Spectrum, is getting the best shots in the league. And yet they're offensively, they're like 26th or 27th. They're getting the right. third most wide open threes in the NBA, and they're 27th in three-point shooting. Um, there are multiple metrics that show that the Jazz are getting great looks and they're wide open. Now, are they wide open because they're Dante Exum and Derek Favors and Alec Burks and they're guys that the league doesn't respect and so they're leaving them wide, Jay Crowder, and they're leaving them wide open and the guys aren't making shots or are they wide open because the offense is actually running the way it's supposed to and last year got the most open looks of any offense in the NBA. That, I think, is up for debate, but Kyle Korver's not going to be left wide open. Right. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I, I, I mean, listen, it, it's not that complicated of a trade in terms of what their incentive is, because you know, I mean, you just dropped some some good knowledge there. And but as far as you know, what Kyle does shooting that three ball, the Jazz right now are coming in at twenty eighth in three point percentage at thirty one point nine. And even though he's been at a, a relatively low volume this year, you know, Kyle is is forty six point three percent from beyond the arc, which is up there with some of his better numbers and his storied three-point shooting career. So, you know, we'll see if he can get open looks, if they can create open looks for him. Um, you know, I, I like the move, and but it's still, I mean, I, we'll see. You know what I mean? I mean, he's a 37-year-old guy who covers a ton of ground on that court and puts on miles big time more than, you know, most players in this league with the way that he plays, and he's just constantly on the move. 
And so, you know, is he going to stay healthy? Is he going to make the kind of impact they're hoping for? we got to wait and find out. The one that will be interesting on this trade, just from a pure basketball, and I'm totally overgeneralizing here, but to make it more interesting, is on one level you have Alec Burks, who's a pretty darn good athlete, um, but probably not the fundamentally most sound defensive player. On the other side, you have Kyle, who's 37 years old, much better athlete than he's ever been given credit for, but he's 37, but an incredibly right. fundamentally sound defensive player. Like great, known around the league as one of the best executors of a game plan defensively. And, you know, which of those matters? <clears throat> and the game's changing a little bit. So which does one matter more than the other? Does someone like Kyle with the new freedom of movement rule suddenly not able to grab and hold the way he once did and so he gets exposed more off the ball than he ever used to? Um, or is just simply executing a game plan defensively actually more important than one's pure athletic ability? Uh, I mean, to the chagrin of Jazz fans, I, I would probably handicap the former and anticipate defensive struggles. And I think athleticism and speed and just actually getting, you know, your, your body being able to move at a, at a high level on a consistent basis is going to be necessary in today's NBA to defend. You got to, you talk about defending with your feet. You know, when I did that longer story talking to Monty McCutcheon, you know, the VP of referee operations about the freedom of movement stuff, it was really fascinating to me because Monty talked at length about how, you know, they studied defense in the eighties and the nineties and they wanted the league to get back to a place where you were defending with your feet and not your hands. And that's the big thing. And I think you're right. Kyle was probably, you know, deep into that stage of old man game where he had all the tricks where you pull on the shorts and you do whatever you got to do to avoid the blow by. And I think that's going to be harder, not only because of the age. I mean, it's, it's such a stark contrast. You're talking about a decade between Alec and Kyle age-wise, which is just huge. And Kyle was only playing 15 minutes a game. So, you know, kind of where is his motor at and, and how much can you lean on him? So I think those are going to be fair questions. Interesting, just side note on a personal note, Kyle met his wife in Utah. So they're actually moving back to where they first met, which is now with three Very kids, cool. Well, of- and he's been through it. I, I mean, there was a fantastic piece on ESPN a couple months ago um, you know, about his family and his brother passing away. And, and so he's always seen, I don't know him very well, always seemed to be a very classy guy who everybody in the league is constantly rooting for. So on the personal side, that's great. I mean, that's a neat little full circle component to this. All right, landscape. What does your impact on what, what impact this has on the Western Conference, specifically with Utah getting him? And maybe most importantly, what impact does it have on the NBA that no, some for the teams that didn't just go get Kyle Korver that are looking for shooting. What, you know, what are their other options here? So what, what's your impact as much, I think by what, what it does for Utah and the rest of the West compared to what it does for the teams that didn't get Kyle Korver that were rumored to be involved in that. Who's, who's our short list there. I know, you know, even off air, we talked real briefly about Philly and the idea that, you know, that they would have liked to have gotten their hands on Kyle. But but who else is uh, – who are the other candidates here? Uh, you know, it's a good question. I, I think it's just, you know, everybody wants shooting at this point. So right. Kyle Corbett right. had been available I mean, for two second-round draft picks, which is to some extent what he was traded for, um, since Cleveland doesn't care about Alec Burks, I don't think. Um, right. You know, who could have benefited the most if they had grabbed him uh, in – in that process and move their, I mean, Philly, Philly comes to mind. Cause they, you know, they already retooled with the Jimmy Butler trade. Uh, they've been off to a, a really good start. 
But, you know, we all know, I mean, they, they tried early on to have the Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz backcourt. That obviously is, didn't last very long, and Markel's future is definitely uncertain. But Ben, being a non-shooter, uh, the idea of getting Kyle out there, you know, I think that would have been a fantastic fit for them. Even Jimmy can shoot the ball, but he's, he's not a, a dead-eye shooter. So, uh, you know, that's one team that I think if they had gotten their hands on Kyle, it would have been, you know, cutting that gap between them and the Raptors, them and the Bucks you know, them and the Celtics if, if Boston gets their stuff together here at some point. So they come to mind, um, you know, and, and again, though, I, I don't know. We, I think we're guilty, David, of overhyping some moves like this in the middle of the, of the regular season. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Kyle will be a, you know, just a, a major impact player for Utah. Uh, I'm not sure that I would predict that happening at this point. Utah and Houston are 13th and 14th in the West. Now, it's crazy. that's a little misleading. They're also five games out of the number one seed. But which of those two teams would are you most concerned about? Um, man, that's a good question. I mean, it might be Utah. I mean, with Houston, they got it together for a short stretch after the awful beginning. And we know what went into that. You had injury stuff. You had suspension stuff. And then you had Carmelo Anthony stuff. And so they come out of that, but you know, now this is not, I mean, they are a team that was largely built on James Harden and Chris Paul. And so, you know, Chris has missed the last three games and, you know, and that's just something that's hard for them to get over. Uh, it's, it's crazy how the narratives just go up and down and flip all the time. So now, cause they could use some more scoring. People are saying, well, wouldn't it be nice to have mellow? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that would have made a difference with Chris Paul out, but what you are seeing is James Harden have to carry, you know, the kind of load that he did a couple of years ago, which is not the way they designed this whole thing. So, but when Chris gets back, I think they're going to find their way with Utah. Again, you're the expert here. Uh, I just keep watching them and trying to figure out when it comes to their mojo and their vibe, like what's different. You know, I mean, I know Donovan's health stuff has been, you know, just as impactful as Chris's, if not more, but the, the defensive struggles and the inability to, to kind of play to their identity early on has been really surprising because I, I felt like going into the year, because we had all the numbers from the second half of last season and we saw a very solid performance in the playoffs, that we knew who they were. And, you know, I'm not sure why they haven't been able to keep that going in these first, you know, months or so. It's a bigger picture topic that I want to touch on. We'll talk about that, plus some of the action last night. Uh, that took place as well when we continue. You know, Sam, you're very fortunate, by the way, living in beautiful <laughs> Sacramento, California, where I was the other day, and it was, you know, 65 degrees and gorgeous out. Because one of our sponsors today, you don't actually have to deal with. Action Heat Clothing is engineered to safely and efficiently deliver, it's kind of cool, heat panels in your clothes. Like, so the same way, I don't actually... California boy, do you know what a heated seat is in your car? <laughs> I do. We have a heated seat in my, you know. And how many days a year we have heated seats? How many days a year do you actually use a heated seat? Only the days when my my hand accidentally brushes it, mm-hmm. you know, and and then I don't notice it's an it's an eighty degree day and my and my butt is overly warm and I look down and I say, oh man, I hit the switch. Okay, and it's it's not a, a major part of, yeah. of the operation. So let me ex- share with you as a mountain living father of ski racers how awesome Action Heat is because their clothing <laughs> provides that same concept. They have 
uh, powered by rechargeable 5-volt lithium-ion batteries that last up to 12 hours. The batteries can be used to recharge your phone as well. So you actually can recharge your phone through your shirt, which is kind of cool because it's like, you know, anyway. So... It is incredible. For any family or friend as a holiday gift, Action Heat Clothing provides toasty, warm comfort for your whole body, including heated jackets. The socks are amazing. Gloves, hats, even undergarments like heated base layer shirts and long johns. Yes, I use these when I'm in a ski race and it's 20 degrees outside and I'm sitting there so I can watch my son come down a hill for 35 seconds if he doesn't fall first. Then I... At least I'm not freezing, and the socks are the best. It's Action Heat. It's available in men's and women's. has great new styles and models just released uh, for the winter season. Use the promo code LOCKEDON, actionheat.com, slash LOCKEDON, to use the coupon code LOCKEDON at checkout to save 20%. That's right, 20% off, actionheat.com, slash LOCKEDON. My son's getting them. My daughter's getting them. My wife is getting them all for Christmas. You should do the same. All right, so... You talked about the narrative switching, and I was looking at this today. So Minnesota's now all of a sudden won four in a row, and they're 11-11, and 11, and they're without Jimmy Butler, and the narrative's changing, and there's this great discussion about, like, oh, wow, all they had to do to defend was get rid of Jimmy Butler. They've played Brooklyn, Chicago, Cleveland, and San Antonio. Sure. Like, Those I are think, decent, though. Brooklyn, th- Chicago, Cleveland, yeah. Right, they've played in San I hear you. So they got San Antonio at home. They've also played. Okay. I'm jealous here, by the way, of this. This is also some jealousy here. They've also yeah, played. Yeah, your jazz about, schedule has been rough. Right. They're about to play 10 of 12 on the road. And I'm trying. I have a theory that what's happening right now in the NBA is that because things are so much, it feels to me, more closely um, compact, the difference between. You know, the Charlotte and the Orlando, which is probably not a great example, or even the Milwaukee and the Orlando is much smaller than it ever used to be. And Milwaukee's great. Um, And so I almost feel like fatigue used to impact margin is now impacting outcome. Fatigue used to impact margin, now impacting outcome. Yeah. No, I hear you. I mean, the parity is is a, a good thing. And you said it earlier, the West is insane because I looked at this last night. I mean, there's one bad team in the Western conference one, you know, there's one team that you can sleep on and maybe still come away with the W which is Phoenix. So, um, we are seeing, you know, that, that narrowing of the gap. So, you know, I hear you. Uh, so are you not believing the Minnesota narrative turning around? What's your stance there? I'm just, I, I'm not sure what to believe. I mean, I just looked, Back since November 12th, they've won seven of nine, and they beat Brooklyn. They beat the Pelicans at home, which I'm not sure Anthony Davis played in that game. I'm actually checking to see. Oh, he did. He went nine of 25. Um, They beat Portland, then they went and lost at home to Memphis and Denver, and then they beat four not very good teams. Uh, So I I just don't know. It's the same way I don't know on Utah, and I'm with Utah every day. But Utah has played two games – all season against teams that have a record below 500. Yeah. So, no, and, I understand. And I mean, I, I don't know what to make of the Minnesota stuff, you know, is very surprising. I mean, I mean, for crying out loud, you got AD. I mean, what is, is Carl Anthony Towns, the, the AD stopper all of a sudden? I mean, we know that's not the case. I do know 
that, and I hope this continues because I, you know, I always enjoy seeing young players maximize their talents. Carl just seems to have decided to play with force, which is something he didn't do the last couple of years. And, and now it feels like, you know, for all the times that he said that the Jimmy Butler thing wasn't a challenge, wasn't a problem, wasn't a distraction. I mean, now it seems like mentally he's in a different space. And, you know, our guy, the athletic in Minnesota, who does such a great job, John Krasinski, had just detailed like Carl's leadership the other day. And he talked to Kevin Garnett about it. And he talked to Taj Gibson, Jeff Teague, all these old heads about Carl finding himself as a leader. So we'll see if that keeps up. I mean, I, I do understand what you're saying about strength uh, schedule. You know, they lost to Denver by two. You know, that's a very good Nuggets team. And you almost pulled that one out. Um, so, you know, they're, they're playing good ball. And I think the other part of that is that Dario Saric and, and Robert Covington were just overlooked in this deal, and Covington in particular is playing lights out. And I think they fit what Tom Thibodeau wants to do more, Not maybe not even just on the floor. I think that locker room is, is just going to be more cohesive because of the way these personalities happen to fit together. I liked the trade a lot by Minnesota when they made it. So it, it vibes with me that you've taken dysfunction, you have, you know, this gets a little bit to what Boston's dealing with, and I think we might have talked about this press. You have to have the rightful order of the basketball universe, right? It's got to be defined clearly who and what the pecking order is on your team. And Boston doesn't have that figured out at all, and Brad's changing the lineup every day trying to figure it out. But Minnesota didn't have it either. Like, no, Carl thought he was number one. They didn't before at all. Yeah. Carl, yeah, I Carl mean, it was how uncomfortable is that? You know, Carl goes in the middle of the Jimmy Butler saga when, I mean, I would love to, you know, get the behind-the-scenes look and have these guys be honest about how this stuff went down because my feeling was, you know, right about the time Carl was convinced that, okay, the Jimmy thing is so bad that, you know, my guys, meaning Scott Layden and Tom Thibodeau, like they're going to trade Jimmy, you know, tomorrow or the next day. This is going to happen soon. So he then signs the five-year deal. And the whole narrative is uh, Jimmy might be there physically, but this is Carl's team right now. Well, then you kind of forget how stubborn Jimmy is, how stubborn Thibodeau is, and Jimmy doesn't go anywhere. And and so it was like this big thing. You're going to tell the world that Carl is the franchise centerpiece and, you know, and, and Jimmy is the guy on the side. And then you get back on the floor and you get reminded that in terms of their personalities, that's just not a wall that Carl could break through. He just couldn't. And Jimmy was more forceful and more powerful. And it wasn't Carl's team. So, you know, I'm with you 100%. Now it's just it, it's healthier with the way their pieces fit. The other team last night got a big win, and we talked about it as a loss, was uh, on with four days of rest, Dallas went into Houston and smacked them. Um, they had last played on the – this is my point a little bit. I mean, Dallas had played one game in seven days. Like, I think that that matters right now, that these Dallas and Houston are not that different teams, particularly when Chris Paul isn't playing. And so when Dallas comes in having played one game since November 21st, I I think it matters, and they smacked them. But it also is now that Dallas has gone and won, I think, seven of their last eight and eight of their last ten. Eight of ten, yeah. What's your thoughts on what is going on in Dallas? Because I've watched them three times this year and was not a team I expected to go win eight out of 10. So I saw them, I was in Dallas chasing the Warriors around not that long ago. And that was my first in-person look at this Dallas team. And, you know, at home, and I, I don't make a lot of trips to Dallas. I'm guilty of 
doing Houston and maybe taking the time to go to San Antonio, but the Mavs have been bad, so I, I don't get to Dallas much. So I, I actually really enjoyed it because, for one, that environment is a great home court and fans are fired up. The Warriors were in town, so it's going to be, you know, pretty, pretty lit. And they not only beat the Warriors, but what struck me was, like, the, the mood after that game. Uh, DeAndre Jordan, like, I think it was Doncic, like he jumped on Doncic's back on the way off the floor after the game. Like the guys were celebrating like crazy and having fun. They just seemed to be enjoying each other. Uh, I, I will give a uh, a hearty assist to our friend and colleague, Tim McMahon of ESPN, who I don't know if you caught this, but a little while back, he, he had written in a power rankings or something like that uh, for ESPN about DeAndre Jordan and about the idea that, that some of his teammates might've felt that he was playing selfishly and he was stealing rebounds away from people. And, and so there were some questions raised about DJ and his fit. And, you know, it just never ceases to amaze me how sometimes, and only they know if this is the case, but sometimes the media can rally the troops and force, you know, teams to have discussions that put them in, in an even better place. Cause I know Rick Carlisle did address the team about that situation. They weren't happy with Tim, even though, you know, he clearly had gotten that from players inside the locker room. Um, so they kind of carved that little, you know, nonsense and dysfunction out of the picture and they've been on their way. I mean, Doncic is, is electric and entertaining and exciting and all those adjectives. He's just a lot of fun to watch. You know, Harrison Barnes is finding his way fitting in with, with those guys, with Dennis Smith Jr. You know, DJ is doing what DJ does. You know, I just looked at his game log and it's like, you know, my goodness, that Memphis game that they lost, he's giving you a 17 and 20. You know, I mean, he's, he's a beast on the boards, gives them something they didn't have before. So they're playing well right now. More on that story. In fact, the exact time Rick Carlisle, I think, tried to get that story out to the public, Sam. I'll tell you about that in a second. Uh, coming up, first we'll take a quick timeout. It is Locked on NBA. Make sure you follow Locked on NBA on Instagram, on Locked on NBA Net for the biggest stories in 60 seconds or less every single day plus locked on nba net on twitter you know on that story specifically uh rick carlisle i could find the date in salt lake city utah tried to get that story out subtly and no one picked up on it so i'm How so literally said they had won the night before literally said talked about how great a job uh, they beat Washington the night before at home, 119-100. And in his pregame conversation on November 7th, he o- talked about how great DJ was that he didn't play selfish defense. Huh. Interesting. And I'm not sure he used the word selfish, but he thought, oh, he helped off his man. And, you know, he's, and I've been around long enough that I heard that, and I was like, oh. And that's always been the, right. book. That's always been the book on DJ, is that DJ was right. so obsessed with his own man that he never played team defense. Well, and now, I, this is a little – Hopefully not too off color, but it made me laugh. I mean, Rick Rick also did a radio interview, I believe, in Dallas, where he was asked about the story. And and, and listen, Rick and Tim have a long history, and, and mostly good. But like Tim isn't afraid to question Rick, and he's been based in Dallas for a long time. But but Rick had you know called Tim a, a clickbait terrorist on a radio <laughs> show, and it, 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 it a little strong, a little strong, and but it's also just classic Rick where, you know, he, he kind of wants the narrative to be what he wants it to be. And, and no coach is ever happy when guys are talking out of turn internally. And so he was doing whatever he thought he needed to do to clean it up. And obviously they have. I mean, they're in a really good place right now. Uh, I, one other quick one just on our whole conversation. Oklahoma City 
is winning all these games. Have you looked at who they've played? Uh, I mean, I've paid attention. I watched last night, but I have a feeling okay. you're going to tell me they've had a weak schedule. And this is, and maybe this is the most interesting aspect to the Kyle Korver trade, which isn't that big a deal. But had Utah had this schedule, does Utah make a trade? Right. So they, I know, yeah. Their last wins are Cleveland, Charlotte at home, the Warriors. Okay, good win, and the Warriors are a mess. Phoenix, New York, Phoenix lost to Dallas, Houston. Cleveland, New Orleans, don't know if AD played or not, Washington. Like, that's since November 2nd. November 1st, they beat Charlotte. AD did play. Okay. So, Charlotte below 500, Washington below 500, Pelicans are at 500, Cleveland below 500, Houston below 500, Phoenix well below 500, Knicks not trying to win, Phoenix again, Golden State without their guys, Charlotte and Cleveland. Hey, they beat the Clippers. I'm going to give them some love. Yeah, but that was on <laughs> October 30th. That they was, beat Phoenix yeah. before that. Like, I they, mean, they good got wins. Phoenix four times. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, Charlotte's Charlotte's competing this year. I kind of I like that win. I mean, I, I'd feel I better like if Charlotte. they beat Denver because Denver is what's that? I do like I do like Charlotte. And actually, here's the bigger point: I, you start to get enough Phoenixes and dysfunctional Washingtons and Clevelands on your schedule, you start to believe you're good and you start to win games. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, like in my neck of the woods, that's the Kings early phenomenon because they went into the year with, like, neutral confidence. They didn't know if they had any or they didn't have any. And then they've won some games, and now they think they're pretty decent. You know, and that's just the human part of the game. Uh, I feel a little better about OKC if, you know, that Denver game is a litmus test for me because Denver is a legitimate contender at this point and a, and a team like Utah where we know who they are, what they do. And, you know, they fall short in that game, the Thunder do, but you know, it's, it's a good stretch. And I mean, considering that during that time, you are also dealing with health stuff with Russell Westbrook. Uh, and I'm forgetting how many games he's missed. I mean, he, let's see, three, six games. I mean, six games in that stretch that you're talking about, they're winning without Russ. So that's Phoenix, Knicks, Phoenix, Rockets, Cavs, all of those wins are without the former MVP. So considering the 0-4 start, I think it was, and then considering Russ going going down, uh, I think all in all, OKC has to feel pretty good. And, and the big thing is, you know, the Dennis Schroeder pickup has been really nice. He's just he, – they found a way for him to not only plug the gap when Russ is hurt, but to play, you know, with him and get Russ off the ball at different times. And Russ has actually been willing to do that. So it's a different look. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say it's getting OKC into the West Finals, but I think you know it's a it is a different approach than they had last season. Um, the uh, let, let me make one thing clear on this, and then uh, well, then we'll get to my clickbait terrorism. Um, <laughs> winning those games are just as important as beating. In fact, maybe even more important. Like. Beating the teams more important than what? Than beating a de- like, sorry, I didn't say that well. Winning a game against Cleveland and Phoenix and these other games that I just kind of almost devalued, and I don't mean to devalue them. I just mean it means I'm not sure how good they are. But it's yeah. incredibly important, maybe even more important, to go win those games than it is to beat the Denver or to beat the the other game. You know, th- those wins are super important against all the teams you're right. supposed to beat. Winning against Charlotte is super important if you're a Western Conference team. So right. um, 
I, I, no, it is. I, I mean, especially sure devaluing those wins by Oklahoma City and Minnesota. Though those are the ones that actually get you into your playoff positioning as much as anything else. And and are and, well for sure. Yeah, because like we said, you got the West with fourteen out of you know fifteen teams vying for playoff spots right now. So you know you just got to win. You got to beat teams. I think you know not to go too far down the OKC road, but what you know what I find so interesting about like the Schroeder component is that. Like, if you ask the Warriors privately the last couple of years why they were never afraid of OKC, whether it was the Kevin Durant version with Russ, even though they clearly showed that they, you know, they almost lost to them a few years back before Kevin came. But that version or this one with Paul George, it's just because it, they make themselves relatively easy to defend because you, you knew that, you know, seven times, eight times out of ten, the ball was going to go to Russ or to Paul. Dennis comes in, and again, I know Russ being out, has skewed these numbers, but the idea that the Oklahoma city thunder added a guy this season who was taking 15 shots a game is just not a small deal. It changes everything about the way you have to defend them. Even though Dennis isn't even shooting at a high clip, he's at 41% and 34 from beyond the arc, but it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't allow you to, to lock in in the, in the same kind of way that defenses have the last couple of years. Uh, it's just a different look. And I think it's paying off. It's, it's Dennis Schroeder has been great for them. And that's a huge find that uh, most of us did not think was going to happen. All right, clickbait terrorism. Clickbait terrorism, you ready? I'm ready. I think Danny Ainge should call Bob Myers. Oh, I know where you're going. And say, what do you want for Durant? Yeah, no, 100%. I'd be surprised if he hadn't already. Well, I don't Um, know how Bob Myers says no. I know. There's not the Warriors are not they're just not going to do it. They 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 still I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, yes, they you know there's plenty of people within the organization who you know I don't want to say they expect Kevin to leave, but they certainly wouldn't be surprised. Um, nobody is saying you guys are silly. We've got this. He's coming back. But they I'll put it this way. I had another executive from another team say that it's it's confidence slash arrogance when it comes to being the Warriors. And, it, I mean, listen, it's with good reason. You're shattering records every year. You're winning three championships and four tries, and you're a Draymond Green kick away from, you know, having won all four. Um, so they have a demeanor and a confidence and an arrogance that essentially, I think, puts them in a place where they just, they're going to ride it out. And, and for one, they don't, I mean, they don't take it lightly at all that there is a championship on the line right now. And, and they, you know, that part is kind of cool to watch from a media standpoint, because it's interesting because everybody else is fixated on the dynasty and the big picture and the long view. These guys actually do have a very locked in view of, um, you know, we have a chance to win again and to be, you know, one of the few teams that could repeat and make the mark that way. And if you told them, Worst case scenario, you win the title. Durant leaves. You go sideways with Draymond. You decide to trade him, and you go into the Chase Center in San Francisco with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and whoever else you can collect. You know, maybe Iguodala retires. Um, so, I mean, they they would kind of shrug and go, "Man, well, that was a good run, and we got Steph and Clay, and I bet you we can get something going with that." You know, like there's not a lot of panic. Uh, around the Warriors relating to the Durant thing. That's why 
you know, Draymond had been the only one making a bigger deal out of it. That's why they had a problem with that situation. But I 100% hear you on the Boston front. I think they should be pushing hard. I mean, what do you, if you're in Danny's shoes, what are you legitimately putting on the table? Well, if I know that Durant will resign, I'll put Jason Tatum on the table. Right, 100%. Yeah. And then I, mean, I don't that's know who how, you got to put on the table. Huh? You got to Hayward has that's to be, who, yeah. Hayward has to be in the deal for money. So, yeah. it's a Hayward Brown pick, Hayward Tatum. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And the Warriors I agree. I mean, I Hayward's not moving my needle at all for the Warriors. Right. I'm so, no, I'm he's no, making the money work. I'm no Nate Duncan, Danny LaRue here, but if I understand it, if Durant leaves, they don't have cap space. Correct. So No, you're right. So your choices at that point are Durant leaves, you have nothing you cannot replace him. Or even if Hayward isn't right, he's got a chance to be right at some point in the process. And you have a Tatum or a Brown. I mean you and and I think you win the title this year. On either of those trades, I still have the Warriors as the favorite to win the title. Right. I don't know. This gets trickier because I don't know if the guys in their locker room will let them do that, and specifically Steph. Uh, I know that everybody paints him as boy next door, um, and I'm not saying that he, he goes into Bob Meyer's office pounding his fist, but I do think there is an understanding that – there's a story here. We convinced Kevin to come. I mean, if I had to guess, I think Steph would rather see it through. Um, you know, and then you've got other voices in that locker room too. Uh, you know, and, and the Draymond thing continues to be worth monitoring because I, I still just feel like, you know, the mistake he made in that Clippers game and going too far, that it it changed. It just tweaked the relationship with the organization. So I don't know what to think anymore going forward about where his place is and what, you know, what his voice is internally. So uh, I'll probably stop short just at Steph. I wonder how he would see that uh, because if you're Steph, that means, all right, you know, we, it's another championship March and now we're going to integrate a young guy in Tatum. I mean, it's a good problem to have. He's a hell of a player, but uh, you know, I, I, at this point we got a few months to go at this point, that would shock me if they would, you know, seriously consider that. All right, we'll let people chew on that one. Sam, always a pleasure. Uh, we didn't get into your deep dive on Markel Fultz, which was well done at The Athletic. Uh, go read Sam at The Athletic. Um, Theathletic.com, I believe we had a promo code still for you. They had a Black Monday promo code for you. There's a bunch of – you should be able to find one, but if, you, if you'd like to give us credit, I believe we had a locked on – theathletic.com slash locked on NBA will get you um, somewhere. Uh, so you can get the T-shirt gift as well with it. Um, so something percent off. Yeah, there's a lot of percentages off. If you want to subscribe to the Athletic? Thank you very much, Sam. Greatly yeah. appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it, man. Adam and Anthony with you on Friday here on Locked On NBA. They always have a really good time. Make sure you catch that tomorrow.